Um, if, you, if this is your first time here, welcome. Um, it's great to have you. Um, I'm just going to announce some announcements that we have throughout the week, some small groups and just things going on uh, throughout the church. Um, on Monday nights uh, at 5.30, like literally a block down the road um, at one of the houses in the East End that um, Revolution owns, we do uh, some service stuff every Monday night at 5.30. Drop it. Um, oh, hey. So, yeah. So, uh, on, at 5.30, you know, um, we, if you guys are free, uh, it'd be great to have you. Um, it's literally right across the street. And uh, we're, I think tomorrow we're going to do a prayer walk. We're just going to walk around the community um, and pray for people. Um, so that should be a good time. It usually lasts about an hour, an hour and a half, and we have dinner afterwards. Um, so that's a great time for fellowship as well. And at 8 o'clock on Monday nights at the school, um, David has Rev on campus, and uh, if you haven't heard about that yet, it's basically a time where he can just kind of uh, talk about like what he talked about on Sunday nights uh, to people who hopefully have, who usually don't go to church. Um, so if you guys have friends that uh, go to Shawnee and they don't really go to church, or they're not believers, or they have questions, um, that's exactly what Dave is his intentions for Rev on campus. So um, point them, it's in uh, one of the lecture halls in the library. Um, that's at 8 o'clock on Monday night, so keep that in mind. Um, Tuesday nights, we have a uh, Shawnee Bible study. Um, it's in the basement of Massey at 8 o'clock. Uh, if you guys go to Shawnee, it would be great to see you out there. Me and Aaron help lead that um, every Tuesday at 8. David and Ryan have small groups every Wednesday. Um, if you guys want to get involved, if you're not involved in a small group, we'd love to see you in those. Um, and Allie and AJ have one on Thursday nights. They're going through Jonah right now. Uh, they live just across, uh, just right down the street as well. Um, so if you have any questions about getting involved and anything like that, ask anybody who's going to be up on the stage tonight. We'd love to get you guys more involved. And uh, one last thing, free market. If you guys have not heard about free market, that's going to be uh, November 7th. And what free market is, is basically uh, we gather up like uh, winter clothes items, um, reasonable uh, thing, anything that's not like too worn down, anything that you want to give away. We're going to give away to the people in the community. And that also includes like small appliances, um, things that anything that you don't need that could give away to people in the community. Um, just make sure they're in good condition still. We don't want to be giving away junk. Um, but we'll t- we're taking donations. You guys can bring them here and up until the 25th of October. So if you guys have items that you would like to bring in that you don't need, um, please bring them in in the next couple weeks because after the 25th, we're not going to be taking any more donations. Um, I think that's it. Uh, if you guys want to, they're going to play some music, and if you want to greet each other, uh, just try and greet someone you don't know. Shake a hand, get familiar with the faces. What's up, Revolution? Come on, do it again. What's up, Revolution? It's always the same the second time. I just feel like deep down that it sounds better. I don't know why. Um, don't worry, the world's not ending. I'm wearing pants. Um, that's a new thing. For those of you listening to the podcast, uh, I always wear some form of bottoms. It's just usually shorts. So when I say I'm not wearing any pants most of the time, I just wanted to clear that with the people that might be listening to this later. Um, yeah, I mean, Autumn had like a heart-to-heart in the mall yesterday because I had to buy some dress clothes. And I was like, babe, I can't wear shorts until I'm 60. Like, I can't. Like, I have a mortgage now, and like, I have to grow up at some point, so I have to start wearing pants. And it sucks. But these are like 1% spandex, so they're like pretty, like I like them a lot. I think skateboarders wear them. I don't know. I don't skateboard. Um, 
I'm just, whatever. I'm just, I don't know why I want to tell you guys. Like, I was really proud of these. Uh, anyway, um, here at Revolution, we have, we have founded our church on a few concepts. The first of which, and, and, and always will be the first, is proclaiming the gospel. Um, you know, proclaiming that everyone's a sinner, everyone's wicked, and yet God has given us grace through Jesus, absorbing God the Father's wrath for our sin and coming back from the dead three days later. That through that, we're saved. Um, and the second thing, and, and it's not nearly, not even putting it in like the same ballpark, but like another thing that we really, really have tried to like foster a culture of here is uh, being able to be really honest. Um, like that this is like a safe place and you can admit your moral failings and you can admit that you're a sinner and then you can, along with the rest of us, kneel at the foot of the cross and know that there's forgiveness there and that no one here is going to judge you. So we can be honest. Um, now with that being said, let's be real for just a minute. Um, Everyone has a group of people that they don't like, right? See, Andy's laughing. I don't know why you guys are being so somber. Like, we're not Presbyterian. Like, let's smile up in here. Um, some of you don't know any Presbyterians, so that joke's not funny to you. Anyway, um, like, let's be honest. Everyone has a group of people that they don't like, right? And, and, and I don't mean, like, a little bit. I mean, like, a group that you don't like so much that if you saw, like, a group or a person from that group walking down one side of the street that you're on, you'll, like, run through oncoming traffic, knock an old lady over, and cause, like, a 10-car pileup just so you don't have to walk past them and talk to them. Like, everyone has something like that. Um, we all have that kind of a person. And I'll be straight up with you. Uh, my group that I tend to not want to associate with is Rednecks. Um, and I say all the time, God is a comedian because I work at Mule Town Minimar in Minford, Ohio, baby. Like, that's all I deal with is rednecks. So, like, God is teaching me love and God is teaching me patience in the worst way possible. Um, but when I say redneck, I, I don't mean, I, I'm, I'm just bearing my soul to you guys now. Uh, whenever I say redneck, I don't mean country people because I like country people. I mean redneck like um, dudes that pride themselves on, like, how much beer they can drink in, like, one setting without passing out. And dudes that, like, uh, like they brag that they've chewed Copenhagen fine cut since they were three years old, right? Like, the guy that, he's jacked up an S10 for some reason. I don't know why. And he pulls up in the parking lot with a jacked up S10, blaring Toby Keith, God save us from country music, I might add, uh, with a rebel flag in the back of his truck bed. And he's like, heritage, not hate. And I'm like, dude, you're from Ohio. What heritage are you talking about? <laughs> we're a free state. Um, <laughs> it took you some of you a minute. It's cool. Um, but that's the group. Like, that's the kind of person that I tend to not want to associate with, if I'm going to be honest. And again, everyone has one. Um, some, people are, some people are racist. Um, some people are bigoted towards homosexuals. Um, some people find the people that are in the party scene, like, you know, like the party girl, usually it's like the valley girl. Anyone know what I'm talking about from like the 80s? Like that kind of party scene kind of people. Um, other people don't like drug addicts or drug dealers or the uneducated or the poor. People who have committed certain crimes or like nerds, like people that are just kind of odd. Um, right? But here's the thing, like it's, it's, it's more than just like a... I don't have much in common with them, right? It's not, it's, it's more than that. It's a little more hostile than that, like this group of people that you don't like. So get that in your mind and tell me if this is wrong. Um, it, it's more hostile than that. It's an annoyance. Um, we, we get really irritated with people from this group that we don't like, and we don't want to associate with them. We don't want people to classify us as one of them, so we keep away. But why? Why do we not like certain groups of people? I would argue that the heart of our desire to disassociate with certain groups of people or anybody for any reason, whether it's an individual or whether it's an entire group, is pride. 
Um, Pride is where we have this view of ourselves that says that we're better than somebody else. That's what it is deep down. Maybe we think that we're smarter or that we're more moral or that we've made better decisions or we have more money. Whatever it may be, we get to a point where we think we're better than someone, and that is what pride is. And And I say that at the heart of everything is that kind of pride because we only don't want to be around people that we think we're better than. Right? Like, think about it for a second. That, that's, that's why we get annoyed with people. We think that we shouldn't have to be subjected to their presence, right? And, and on the other hand, like, we want to be around people that we consider our equals or we consider higher up than ourselves, right? It's only people that we deem as lesser that we disdain. Um, but what about the church? Ah, this is going to be fun, right? What about the church? Uh, what about us, right, Christians? We are members of the universal church. Um, we all know, like, those religious people that think that they're better than unbelievers, right, and, like, disassociate with them. And for the record, they think they're better than most believers as well. Um, we all know that there are churches like that, and, and, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at the outside. I'm wanting to look in because I think that we're all prone to do the same thing just in different ways to different groups. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about this evening. Um, again, pride, and how there is absolutely no room for pride in the kingdom of God. Um, pride says that we're better than individuals, and it causes us to avoid them, but the gospel tells us that all human beings are equal, that we're all equally sinners, and that we all equally need grace. So if we believe the gospel, we can't have any pride in us. Um, if, we, if we really, really believe that message that Jesus Christ the sinless one, came and associated with the lowest of the low. He himself took on flesh and became poor and associated with us so that he might save some of us. It has to crush our pride. It has to crush out any desire that we have to avoid certain people um, or certain groups. Um, So again, we're all lumped together in this same category. Um, and the gospel is the great equalizer. I can't. If you don't take any other line away from what I'm saying this evening, the gospel is the great equalizer of men, and the cross kills our pride. Um, so we're doing this series in Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. Uh, if you want to use your pew Bibles, or if you want to just look up here, it might be a little bit quicker, easier for you. Um, also, if you're new here, and the Bible you have at home is like old, and you don't understand it, lots of these and thous, um, and it's not your thing, there are Bibles here. There are blue ones in the back of your pews. Take one home. It's our gift to you. Um, it's a good translation. It's called the New Living Translation. We want you to check it out. Um, But we're going to see how Jesus expects his followers to treat other people and what true humility is and why pride is such a problem. Um, So let's check out Luke chapter 14, verse 7. When Jesus, when Jesus, (laughs) who's Jesus? (laughs) Help me, Lord. Um, When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Pause. We're going to stop for a second. Uh, We're going to give you some background on what's going on. So Jesus is at a dinner, and if you were to read the first six verses, which we didn't want to get into because that could be a whole sermon in and of itself, uh, verses 1 through 6 of this chapter tell us that Jesus has been invited to dinner at a Pharisee's house. And this ain't because they're friends either. right? Pharisees, we're going to talk about them in a second, but in a nutshell, they hate Jesus. right? They reject him as the Messiah. Anytime that they speak to Jesus or invite him over to talk, with him, uh, with them, with the exception of Nicodemus, they're always seeking to discredit him. They hate him. They reject him as the Messiah. They reject him as God. They want him dead, and eventually they're going to get what they want. Uh, but again, in the first six verses before this one, uh, they were actually, they were, it's, it's funny, they were trying to give Jesus a hard time for healing a guy on the Sabbath. Um, 
and Jesus crushes them with what he does and the questions that he asks them, right? Like, he heals them, and he tells them, like, you guys have missed the whole point of the Sabbath. Is it unlawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? And, and Luke actually records that they were silent, and they couldn't answer him. Um, because it's never a really good idea to try to argue with the guy who made you. Um, he can, like, see what you're thinking before you even say it. So he's got, like, a competitive advantage, kind of like a woman if you're trying to argue with her. Like, they just know. Uh, and he's going he's gonna to tear you up if you try to argue with him. So that's what we see Jesus does to them. Uh, but these Pharisees, right, these Pharisees are a really, really proud group. Um, again, we're talking about pride, so we always got to go back to that. They're known for their arrogance. They're known for their hypocrisy. They're known for their selfishness. Pharisee actually means separated ones, um, that they would, like, wall themselves off from society around them, um, and, and they sought to make themselves look holy by making up their own rules to live by instead of just obeying what the Scriptures said. Um, so what they would do... One of the ways they would do to, to, to help build their pride up and make themselves feel holy um, is they would make up laws that were loosely based on God's law in the Old Testament, and in doing so, they would miss the whole point, right? Like the Old Testament tells us to Sabbath, right? That means to take, a, take one day a week um, and, and give that day to God. Not that, not that we like compartmentalize and we don't worship God throughout the rest of the week, but like that day is a day set aside for rest. And the whole point of that is we don't have to work every day, that God is always at work around us, and we can rest and know that he's going to take care of everything, and that life doesn't depend on me, that I can chill, I can know that he is God, I can be still and rest in him. And what they would do is they would take that concept, oh, rest, we're not allowed to work. So what is work? And then they would say, well, if you take X amount of steps out away from your house, that's considered work. Or if you pick up something that's like so many pounds or whatever, that's considered work. And what they would do, where Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest, they would actually make it a day of burden because there were so many rules surrounding the Sabbath. And they would lose sight of God's command entirely, but they would be able to build themselves up with their own rules saying, well, look at all these things that I don't do on the Sabbath. And they would make themselves feel better. And if anyone violated their own Sabbath traditions, they would say, look at this chump over here who's screwing everything up. Um, but it was with their own rules, not God's law. Um, so again, in, in making themselves, uh, or in obeying the laws that they made up, um, they made themselves feel holy. They made themselves look really, really good on the outside. And over time, they actually became to believe, or they, they came to believe that they were the most righteous people alive. Right? That's the heart of a Pharisee. I'm righteous. I'm good. And, and they believe this so much that they're good that Jesus says their hearts are, are far from God. Um, that God's on their lips all the time. They're always talking about God. They're always acting very religious, but their hearts are very far from him. And the problem with that is they, they don't think that they're sinners, because they feel like they're so holy and righteous and good. They don't think that they actually need any grace from God. They think that they are going to earn their way to God by obedience to their own traditions. So they hate Jesus because Jesus stands and points them right in the face and says, you're a sinner and you need saved by me. You need me to show you grace and mercy. Right? So the Pharisees obviously thought very highly of themselves. Um, they, uh, some things to consider. They, they thought that they were good enough to escape punishment from God for their sin, right? They thought that they were good enough to do things that could outweigh the bad that they've done. Think about that. For, think about how arrogant that is for a second. Just like some of you like theology nerds in here, consider this for a second. To think that you can undo what you've done 
wrong, right? Your sin, your rebellion against God, spitting in his face, telling him, like, screw you, I don't care what you've said, what you've commanded me to do, I'm going to do what I want to do. To think that you can undo that by doing good deeds is really like a smack to the face of God's righteousness. That God wouldn't punish sin and that you can, like, coerce him and worm your way out of sin by doing a bunch of good. Right? That's really a smack to God's righteousness that he wouldn't be a good judge and he wouldn't judge you for the wrong that you've done. Uh, and likewise, to think that you can be good enough or moral or obedient enough for God is to really think very lowly of how holy God is. Right? To, to, to think that, that you're somehow going to measure up to his standard of perfection is to really not view God as that perfect. Right? So those are just some things to, to consider. But these dudes honestly think that they deserve honor from God. And this fleshes itself out in how they treat other people. Again, they're called the separated ones, right? They're the Pharisees. They won't associate with the sinners living around them. Um, the Gentiles, the, the Jews who, who don't worship exactly the way that they do, right? They're rude and they're arrogant towards the people around them that don't measure up to their own standards. And they really don't want to be lumped in the same category as them, so they stay away. All right, so all that to say this. Jesus is at dinner with them, Right? <laughs> So this is good times. Jesus is at dinner with them, and he sees their pride in how they want to be seated. He says he saw they were all rushing to the front, wanting to sit at the seat of honor. Right, and this is, this is kind of cool. How Jews, um, or first century culture in general, how they would do seating. There would be like a, a U-shaped uh, seating arrangement, right? Two parallel things with one that connects them at the end. And the connecting uh, seats were the seats of honor. You'd have the host in the middle and a person on his right and a person on his left. They were the highest. They were the most honored people there. And then as you went down the parallel sides of the table, it gets lower and lower and lower in rank and social standing until you get to the end. And that would be the lowest person at the, at the shindig that they were having. Um, so they wanted those seats of honor because they lived in an honor culture. right? It, it's actually for them, it was better to be poor and have high honor than it would be to be wealthy and have no honor, which we have no concept of here in the United States, right? We will screw people over for 50 cents, right? Like, we have no idea what that's like to live in an honor culture, but that's what they did. Um, so these dudes really wanted recognition, right? So remember, they thought that they were the best. Each of them thought that they were the most holy, that they were the most righteous, that they were the most well-educated. So none of them wanted to sit at the end. So they were all clamoring like children for these seats, all right? Because they didn't want to be considered the lowest person there. So... The stage is set. Now let's see what Jesus says. He turns to him and he sees what they're doing and he says this. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat and then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees. He sees what they're doing, how much they want honor, how prideful they are, how much they want their own recognition, their own glory, how none of them want to be considered the lowest person there because they're all so proud. And he says, don't assume that you deserve a seat of honor. 
nutshell, this is what he's getting at. Don't deserve or don't think that you deserve to sit near the host. If you do, the host is liable to move you to the furthest seat away from him. Instead, sit at the least honorable seat so when the host sees you, he won't want you far from him and he'll move you up all the way to the front. Now, I know what this sounds like because some of you might be thinking the same thing that I did. This sounds like a lesson in first century dinner etiquette, like finishing school with Jesus of Nazareth, right? Like that's what it sounded like to me when I was first reading this. Like what, what, are, we, what are we getting at? Um, it's a lot deeper than that, though, actually. Um, and the reason why I said this, if we check out verse 11 again, Jesus says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, the reason why we know that it's more deeper, or more deeper, it's deeper than just dinner etiquette, is that line in verse 11. Um, they'll be humbled, or whoever's proud will be humbled, and whoever humbled themselves will be exalted. That is almost a direct parallel to a proverb. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 says, God mocks the mockers and gives grace to the humble, right? And this is a concept that you see in the Old Testament in general, that anytime anyone's proud, like Pharaoh's very proud, he says, you know, I'm God, I'm the one who, who's going to run Egypt, I'm not going to let the Israelites go, and God slams him down with plagues, right? We see anytime that someone gets proud against God, he always humbles them, sometimes in, in horrible, horrible ways. Um, so these Pharisees, Right? They would have recognized Jesus' allusion to the Old Testament scriptures. Right? They would know that he's referencing God. Because right? keep in mind, they prided themselves on being the smartest people with their Bibles. Right? But this reference to God, okay, so God's going to be the one who humbles the proud, and God's going to be the one who exalts the lowly and, and the humble. Um, it puts a whole new spin on the advice that he gave them. It puts a whole new spin on this parable he gave them about where you should choose your seat and the host, right? Now that we know Jesus is actually talking about God, we can go back and we can look and see that the host is God. And choosing a seat is how we view ourselves in relationship to God, right? How we treat other people as well. Um, right? Because who we associate with and who we choose to sit among, like how we treat other people, everything's connected, just so you know. Uh, how we treat other people gives light to how we feel um, about our relationship to God. So if we think we're better than someone else, it means that we think that we're fairly righteous and we deserve to sit near the host. Um, right, so everything's connected, right? So taking that into account that we're now talking about eternal things, and we're talking about God, and we're talking about judgment, and God humbling us, so we should approach God with humility, we see that Jesus is calling the Pharisees, and us by extension, to humility before God. All right, remember, the Pharisees were known as self-righteous jerks. Um, self-righteous meaning that they truly thought that they could be good enough to outweigh their sin. That they didn't need mercy or grace. And they thought that in being very good and very moral, they could coerce, twist the arm, force God to love them, and force God to forgive them. Um, and because of that, and I've, I know I'm repeating myself on some level, but because of that, they thought they were better than everyone else. They thought that they were holier, that they could atone for their own sins, and these dudes refused to interact with people that they thought were beneath them. So these Pharisees are ridiculously proud, and Jesus is saying that pride will get you put away or separated from the host, God. Separation from God, put away from the host, that's seated at the furthest place away from him. That sounds like hell. Right? To be put away from God is, is to suffer in hell. Right? That's the definition of hell, separation from God and all things good, to be in a place of only his wrath. So Jesus says, pride will get us hell. Like, but why is that? Why will pride separate us from God? And we're going to hit that at the end, just so you know. But in short, we can't believe the gospel and be unrepentantly prideful. Just keep that in mind. Um, right? But how are these dudes proud? 
Like, how were the Pharisees proud? Like, specifically. Um, all right, pride is a feeling uh, that others should respect you, right? It's being conceited, having an inordinately, like, inappropriately high view of yourself, right? And our attitudes about ourselves determine how we treat other people. Um, so as we look at a, a few ways here in a minute, I got, I got a few ideas of how I think that the Pharisees were, among a whole lot of others, uh, very arrogant and proud. Um, I, I, I want us to see that we're prone to do the same. Um, right, so we're going to be real, um, and I want you guys to look inside yourselves and ask yourself, you know, how am I like the Pharisee? Because a lot of times whenever we, and I say this all the time, so whenever we read the Bible and we see the Pharisees or the people that don't like Jesus, we're like, yeah, Jesus, tell them. And like, in reality, we're the Pharisee. Like, we're never the good guy in the Bible. Like, we suck. We're always the bad guy, and Jesus is the only good guy. So whenever you read someone doing something wrong, that's you, right? So always keep that in mind. So I want us to, to, to remember that Jesus is talking to the religious people, the religious people of his day. So he's talking to us, those who claim to know God. All right, so I think the first way that the Pharisees were really proud is they were incredibly proud of their social status. All right, they were really, really proud of their social status. They loved praise. They loved being recognized. They loved titles. Right? Like I said, that whenever they were out in the marketplace, um, that, that they loved being called rabbi and father and teacher, and they loved getting the best seats at banquets, and they loved um, you know, to pray incredibly long prayers and make people look at them and, and see like, how good that they were. They loved recognition. Um, and they took pride in their personal glory and sought to acquire more of it. They were always trying to climb the social ladder of their time period. And if we're going to be honest, we all want the same thing. We all want the same thing. We all want recognition. Um, we all want to be somebody, right? Is that Kings of Leon? We all want to be somebody. Um, like, even in Scioto County, right? Like, we all want to be Neil Hatcher. Like, who wouldn't like that, right? <laughs> no? Okay. Um, right? Or, or like, uh, whenever, whenever I was in a band, um, I wanted to be the best drummer, even in my little hardcore scene. I wanted to be the dude that gets recognized as being the best drummer, or maybe in your job or your profession, you want to be recognized as the best. We all, deep down, we want to be somebody in whatever category of life that we find ourselves in. Um, and, and this kind of social pride for the Pharisees revealed itself in the fact that the Pharisees wouldn't hang with or show kindness or favor towards people that they considered lower than them socially. Um, because, and check this, people of a lower class couldn't further the Pharisees' agenda of being more recognized. Think about that for a second. They wouldn't hang out with someone lower because that person could not further their own agenda. And this kind of thinking goes right in line with American society, right? It's all about who you know, man, right? So who do you want to get to know? People that are powerful, people that have social clout. Those are the people that you want to befriend, right? And we tend to gravitate and we tend to um, befriend and go towards those people who can advance our goals, we use people, right? That's like the American way, right? We, we use people. Think about the, the people that you know and how many of them you're actually friends with and how many of them you actually use to get something, right? Or it's like a work relationship and they can help you out in some way, right? So to further your own goals, we use people. And by extension, if someone can't further us generally towards our own goals, we won't hang or, or befriend them or hang with them. We don't want to hang anybody. We won't hang with them or befriend them. Right? And this is why you see a lot of people in the East End don't have very many friends in Wheelersburg. Let's be, straight, let's be honest. Or on the good part of Grandview. You don't see a lot of people down in the nice part of Grandview hanging out in the East End. Why is that? Because they have nothing to offer um, people that are already doing well, generally speaking, any kind of social clout. And again, I'm not trying to be offensive if anyone in here is from the East End. Um, 
you know, and I kind of wanted to crack on Willersburg because I went to Minford and they beat us in everything every single time that we played. Uh, anyway, a little bit of pettiness. Uh, right, so we realized this too. This is another reason that we don't want to um, get involved with people that, that can't further our own agendas is we realize this. If anything, associating ourselves with lower class people, if you will, um, is going to hurt our own standing in society, right? So we keep away from the odd. We keep away from the uncool. We keep away from the poor, people with checkered pasts, right? And we become separated ones because we don't want our clout in society to go down. We don't want to be lumped in with those odd, strange kind of people who don't live like us, who, who aren't on the same social or economic level that we are. Um, and that's because, lamely, uh, we act like high school kids even though we grow up. Right? We want to be viewed as the people in the in crowd, and we don't want to associate with the people who are marginalized because we might be lumped in with them, and we might lose some clout. And the Pharisees did the exact same thing. Uh, but I also think this. I think that um, we, along with the Pharisees, have a tendency, and hear me out, if you're, anyone in here like to study theology a lot, just me. Well, see, I got a few. Yeah, see, I'm not the only one. Um, this is going to hurt a little bit, maybe. We, like the Pharisees, have a tendency to take pride in our education. All right, and I don't mean college. Like I'm a dropout. Like you do you if you want to go to college, whatever. Um, but I mean that as we grow in knowledge and study of the Bible, and as we see errors in various kinds of teaching, and we can point out a false teacher, or we can point out incorrect doctrine here or there or whatever, we can become incredibly proud and arrogant towards the less knowledgeable. I am chief among sinners whenever it comes to this. I am the worst of the worst at this. Um, we think that we're better Christians than them because we know more about Scripture. Think about that for a second. Paul says in the New Testament, Paul says knowledge puffs up. That's real, right? Knowledge puffs up, but love um, is going to make us humble, right? So, so again, we become proud. We think that we're better Christians. We think that we're more solid in our faith because of our theology, because of how much we know, because we know a couple of Greek words here and there, because we know the context a little bit better than other Christians. Um, so we begin to think we're better than people um, that aren't as well educated. Or whenever we meet other Christians um, that we have disagreements with on non-gospel doctrines, we can become divisive. We can become really, really, really arrogant. Like somehow, stupidly, we think that it's our knowledge of the Bible that makes us holy or godly. Like it's not like the devil doesn't know the Bible better than you. Like let's be real for a second. He was there whenever it was being inspired and written for the first time, right? And we think that we're more holy or godly. We think that, that having an airtight theology is what following Jesus is all about rather than faith in Christ alone and obedience to Christ because of gratitude for Christ. We think that knowledge is what it's about. And just like with social pride, our, our intellectual pride causes us to disassociate with people. We, we don't want to hang out with people that we deem as less educated. Or if you're like me, you tend to throw around the, the term dumb Bible belt redneck. Um, and you don't want to hang out with those kinds of people. And we become irritable towards those with whom we disagree. And we don't want to have to take time to have an honest conversation or, or befriend them or teach them or anything. And why is that? Because we get to a place in our arrogance where we only want to associate with people who can offer us some kind of intellectual benefit, right? We only want to be around those who are like-minded to us, and we only want to associate with those that we deem educated. So intellectual pride causes us to become just as separate and separated as the Pharisees with the significantly less educated people around them in their day that they wouldn't associate with them either. 
Um, And then lastly, and probably most significantly, we and the Pharisees have a tendency to take pride in our holiness. And I'm putting that in air quotes. Um, in our holiness. And I mean that this, as we look at our lives, right, and the Christians are the worst at this sometimes, as we look at our lives and the things that we do and the things that we don't do, and we, and we compare ourselves to the people around us, and we think that we're awesome. Right? Like, I've, I've never cheated on my wife, so I'm clearly better than someone who has. Um, some people say, you know, I've, I've never looked at porn, so clearly I'm better than anyone that's ever looked at porn. Or I've, uh, I've, never, I've never sold dope, so apparently I must be better than them. And we look at all these things that we don't do, and then we look at all the things that we do. Like, oh, I volunteer my time to this, and I pray, and I read ten chapters of my Bible a day. And those are all great things. And then we use that as a way to look around and say, hey, hey, how many chapters did you read today? Uh, two. Sinner, right? I read ten. You better step your game up, right? We compare ourselves to people around us. And we think that we're awesome, right? We compare, keyword, we compare ourselves with people that are struggling in sins that we've overcome, right? Or sins that we've never had to wrestle with. And we immediately assume that we're holier than them. We immediately assume that we're more saved than them somehow. I don't know how that works. That we're more saved than them, that we're better Christians than them because we're not screwing up in the same ways that they are. Or... And this is fun. Or we make up our own rules, right? Outside of the Bible, we make up our own um, extra-biblical rules of what a godly life should look like. And then we arrogantly look down on people who don't follow our traditions and our personal rules that we put on ourselves. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. And you can see this in traditional American church culture, right? These are like the non-biblical traditions that we see very prevalent around here. Like you can never, ever drink alcohol, ever. You have to read a King James Bible. You can't ever cuss. You can't... Uh, you have to wear a suit to church. Uh, you can never smoke cigarettes, ever. But you can chew snuff sometimes, depending on the church you go to. You can't, uh, you can't watch R-rated films, and you can't listen to secular music. Does anyone still use the word secular? That was really big in the 90s, right? Like, secular music's the devil. You should listen to DC Talk. I remember hearing that growing up. Um, yeah, 90s church kids. Woo, we know what's up. Um, Right, But these non-biblical, more American traditional rules that aren't in the Bible... Um, And some people adhere to those. And as they see people around them not living by those same rules that they've made up, they think that they're better. All right, but at Rev, let's be real. Let's be honest. I know you guys. I talk to you guys. We don't really have that problem, right? We don't have that problem um, with those kinds of rules. Um, We actually have a reverse problem. um, And that's where we think that we're holier or better Christians uh, than those people because we don't follow those rules. (laughs) I call this reverse legalism, and I've, I've been the worst at this, right? Like, oh, you don't drink alcohol? Mm. Like, you clearly don't understand your freedoms in Christ, right? And also, just for the record, I'm talking about people that are, don't have an alcohol problem and are of legal age to drink. So if you're underage, don't you dare say Pastor Dave said that you're allowed to drink. I've had that happen to me before. That is not what we're saying here, right? But or like, we have, like, our own rules. Like, if you're a dude, you've got to grow a beard and, uh, like, wear Chuck Taylors, have, a, like, a tattoo or two, be a Calvinist, and uh, like Jesus culture music. And if you don't do that, you're probably not a Christian, right? Like, we have, like, our own stupid rules. It's, like, this reverse kind of legalism that, oh, you wear a suit to church? Clearly, you're not as holy as me. Um, again, so there's, there's two different ways that we can be legalists and look down on the people who follow those kinds of unbiblical rules, and we think that they're less of a Christian than we are. Right? Again, chief of sinners on that. Um, 
But what all of this pride in our holiness does, whether it's we're actually being obedient to Scripture and we think that we're better than people who are screwing up or morally failing, or we're succeeding with our own rules that we've made up and then we think that we're better than people who don't obey our rules, all of this pride in our holiness, what it does is, like all pride, it leads us to disassociate. It leads us to disassociate with people who aren't as far along as we are in the faith, who are less mature, who are still stuck in sins that we've overcome. And it makes us not want to befriend or help anyone who doesn't live a life that's just like us. Right? Maybe they don't even know God. Maybe they're not even Christians, that they're unbelievers. And we say, well, they're not as holy as me, and I shouldn't have to be around that stuff because they do things that, that are unbiblical, and I don't want to be around that. And we divide against them as well. And here's the thing. By refusing to befriend and associate with people, um, w- refusing to, to lend a hand in help, is what we're doing. We're refusing to help them. We're refusing to offer grace to them. We're refusing to point them to Christ. And what we're doing instead is we're probably hurling insults behind their back or to their face if we're gutsy, and we're telling them to be more like us. We're telling them to do better. In a nutshell, we forget all of the areas that we're screwing up in. Right? In a nutshell, that's what we're doing because we're too focused on the moral failings and shortcomings of other people. And this makes us believe that we're better than those who aren't living like us. And just for the record, it's a lot easier to compare yourself to someone else than it is to compare yourself to the perfect standard in Christ. Um, throwing that out there to you. So all this pride, be it social or intellectual or pride in your holiness, what it does is it builds up a wall between us and the people around us to keep them away. Or, I like this one better, it builds a ladder for us to climb up on so that we can look down at all the other sinners around us and not want to engage in them. It makes us feel like we're superior And we become Pharisees. For whatever reason that you're proud, pride makes you a Pharisee. And this is really problematic because how we view ourselves in relation to other people gives away how we truly view ourselves in relationship to God. Pride is not viewing ourselves properly. Not viewing ourselves as as God sees us and God sees our hearts. Pride gives us a false picture, right? It's like a Photoshop picture of me that makes me 150 pounds and muscular. Uh, not happening, right? It, it allows us to think that we're great whenever underneath we're vile, right? And deep down, we all know how much we fail morally, right? We know that we're not as great as we want people to think we are. We're not as smart. We're not as holy as we want to appear to be, right? Pride is nothing but a cover for the wickedness that we try to hide from everyone else because we know how wicked We are. Our hearts betray us whenever we're alone. And it's the gospel that brings to light how vile that we actually are. You want to know what you are? If you you find yourself ever being proud, remember this. You want to know what you are? Look to the cross of Christ and the beatings of Christ where, where he went to the cross and suffered the wrath of God and was marred beyond recognition. And know this. It was your sin that put him there. It was my sin that put him there. That's how bad that we really are. That's who we are. How how good can we think that we are now? When Christ had to die for my sin. Not for these sinners that I don't know, but it's mine. How good can I think I am now? You think that you have social status? God calls you a wretch. Apart from Jesus, you are disgusting. You are a rebel. He calls you lawless. He says you're spiritually bankrupt. If you think that you're rich here, it says that you deserve hell for your sin. So what good is your social status here when the God who sees all knows what you really are? 
What good is your social pride? You think you have intelligence? God says that in your sin you're too stupid to seek him. Isaiah says everyone's turned away. Everyone's followed their own path. There is none righteous. We've all sinned. And we're too stupid to seek God. And we sin every day. Daily, we refuse to choose God. So what good is our biblical intelligence whenever we don't actually choose to act on it? And every day, in at least one place, you're going to choose to not act on the things that you know. You think that you're holy? You find pride in your holiness? Compare yourself to the perfection of Jesus Christ's obedience to God. And find out how much of a sinner that you are. Because you'll never be perfect. And let that break you. The cross of Jesus is the great equalizer of men. It is the pride breaker. It shows us how lowly and bad that we truly are because it took the suffering of Jesus to pay for our sin. Right? We, we suck. Human beings are wicked. Everyone falls into this category. There is no division. Everyone has sin. And yet, in our filth and our failure... God wants to show us mercy. He doesn't want to disassociate. Uh, uh, he doesn't want to keep a distance from us. He actually took on flesh, right? Jesus, God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, takes on flesh and comes to earth. And he leaves his throne in heaven and becomes poor to associate with the poor, to associate with the rebels, to associate with the vile, the unholy, the uneducated. He comes to associate with us. And then in the greatest display of association ever, he died for our sin. He took our sin on himself became like us to save some of us. That's association. There was no pride in Jesus. And he says, if we believe that he's done that, he'll associate with us. If we put our faith in him, he'll be close to us. He'll never leave us. He'll make us his children. So why does Jesus say that pride will separate us from God? Because a proud heart is a heart that doesn't believe it needs saved by the grace of Christ. A proud person can't realize how much they deserve hell and how much they need mercy. And, and an unrepentantly proud person can't believe the gospel. We can't really believe that we need this much mercy from God and then be arrogant towards other people. We can't really believe that we need mercy and then think we're going to make it to heaven on our own merit. So what does humility look like then? Right, I want to be humble. If Jesus says... Arrogance and pride gets me away from God. I want to be near God. What does it look like? I want to know what is humility. Humility is this. It's sitting at the bottom of the table. Right? It's sitting at the bottom of the table at the dinner. It's knowing that we have no right whatsoever to approach the host. And we would ask the host for grace and forgiveness. Throwing ourselves at his mercy. Saying, please, based off of what Jesus has done, show me mercy. Based off the fact that Jesus has made me righteous, show me mercy. That's humility. And here's the thing. Jesus says that God promises to lift us up. He gives mercy and exalts the humble. But then Jesus says this in verses 12 through 14. He says, turns to the host after tells them to humble themselves. And he says, whenever you have a party, invite the poor. Don't invite the people that are higher up in your society. Invite the poor. Invite the lame. Invite the crippled. Right? So Jesus says that after we've been lifted and received this mercy from God by faith in him, that we, would, we should boldly, associate with the blind and the poor and the crippled of our community, whether it be literally or metaphorically. Jesus says that, that, that we should seek the uneducated, the ones with low status, the poor, the ungodly, the people who don't know Jesus among us, and that we shouldn't be afraid of what might happen to our pride or our reputation because that's what Jesus has done for us. 
Jesus did not care what others thought. He was bent on showing love to the lowest, to sinners. If we believe the gospel, our pride is crushed. If our pride's crushed, then we're going to pursue people just like us, sinners. That's everyone. We're not going to disassociate. No one's going to be too uncool. No one's going to be too poor. No one's going to be too strange. No one's going to be too wicked for us to not associate with them. Because we're all in that same category. And we've pulled up a chair at the table right next to them and said, this is where I deserve to be. It's only the grace of God that I'm not going to be here forever. It's only the grace of God that I'm not going to be in hell. But I am just as deserving of it as you. And I want to know you. I want to point you to the love of Christ. All right, so now I'm going to lay a challenge before us. This all sounds good, right? right? We've heard it sounds good, right? Love, equality, Jesus gives mercy to us, and we should show mercy. Yeah, like that sounds awesome. Um, let's be real for a minute. We're in the East End now. You, some of you see where I'm going with this, right? We have heard the words of Jesus. Now the question is, will we do them? And not just with EastEnders at college, with like the, the, the more strange people or the ones that don't have many friends or at work with the people that annoy you at work um, or, or wherever it might be, but especially here in the East End. We have people who are socially disadvantaged. We have people who aren't very well educated. We have, we have people who have nothing and have nobody. The question is, now that we've heard the words of Jesus, will we pursue our community? Will we proclaim good news to them? Will we befriend them? These people who, around us who live drastically, just vastly different lives than we do. Will we pursue them? Or will we be Pharisees? Will we turn up our noses to them and refuse to befriend them, refuse to speak to them because we think that they're strange or, or because we think that they're too dirty or their past is too sordid or whatever it is and, and, and not care to help anyone? not care to love anyone, and ultimately refuse to love those for whom Christ came to save. It's time for us to put up or shut up. That's what it boils down to. If we've been changed by the gospel, we must pursue this community. We must pursue people that we're around that have nothing and have nobody, and not because they offer us some kind of intellectual or social benefit. but because we recognize that we have been served by a God that we cannot repay. Jesus himself said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. We cannot pay him back. We can serve in gratitude. He served us because he loved us, so we must do the same to the people around us. So let's love people the way that Jesus loved. Let's serve those around us that, that have nothing to offer us back strictly because we love them, because of the grace that's been given to us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are better to us than we deserve. Your gospel shows us how wretched we are in that it took the sufferings of Christ for our forgiveness. God, I pray that you would break us Break our pride. Holy Spirit, teach us daily that, that we have no room to think we're better than anyone because we deserve hell. And the only reason we're not getting it is because you opened our eyes to the gospel. Father, teach us to be like your son. Conform us to the image of your son.
Help us to pursue the people that we don't necessarily like. Help us to proclaim good news to those who no one else wants. Because, Father, if we're not willing to pursue them, then everything that we do here in the name of church is just a lie. Father, above everything, thank you for the mercy you've given us through Jesus, and may we serve you out of gratitude. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.